Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Relationship Goals. People often look at happy images of marriages on social media and say, I want that, but they don't really know what that is. The real secret to a great marriage goes far deeper than just a hashtag. In this four-part series, we'll define four goals that will enable couples to keep their focus on the right path for their marriage. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. If you're a fan of the 2002 hit My Big Fat Greek Wedding, you'll remember something about this romantic comedy. It's about culture, it's about family, and it's about acceptance. Uh, Tula Patalokas is the awkward middle child of a very proud first-generation Greek immigrant family. Uh, Her father, Gus, often embarrasses her because he always lectures people on Greek history. He'll say, give me a word, any word, and I'll show you how the root of that word is Greek. Tula has ambitions to go to college and to find a job. Her father, on the other hand, wants her to marry a good Greek young man and have a lot of Greek grandchildren. Then Tula meets Ian Miller. You can tell by his last name, he's not uh, Greek. He's an English teacher. He comes from a very uh, reserved and proper-mannered family, but they fall in love, and they begin a very complicated and secret courtship. But eventually, her family finds out, and her father is livid that she's dating a man who is not Greek. When the couple decides to marry, the two families have to come together, and it makes for a number of misunderstandings and uncomfortable moments. Tula's father is devastated that she is marrying outside of the family heritage, and he's against the marriage from the beginning. He he simply doesn't understand Ian and his family's way of living. But over time, He begins to realize how important Ian is to his daughter and how in love they are. Seeking a way then to reconcile their differences and to bring some unity, he turns to his often used illustration about Greek language. And so at the wedding reception, he gives the following speech in his very broken English, which I'm I'm not going to try to copy. He says, welcome to the Porticolas family and welcome to the Miller family. I was thinking last night, the night before my daughter is going to marry Ian Miller, that you know the root word of Miller comes from the Greek word Milo, which means apple. So there you go. As many of you know, our name Porticolos comes from the Greek word Portakale, which means orange. So here tonight, you have apples and oranges. We are all different, but in the end, we are all fruit. (laughs) You know, marriage is the bringing together of two different people. We could say an apple and an orange and helping them find unity. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we know that that unity is is based on being Christ-centered. But we're going to talk about unity in a more detailed way today. 
We're in the second week of this series called Relationship Goals. And while it has a marriage focus, look, I believe that regardless of your marital status, you're going to find this series helpful because at its essence, it's about having significant relationships. Uh, I'm going to apologize. We're not going to have notes on the screen, but look, you can use our, our outline. You can find it on the Bible app. If you go to events, you'll find it there, and you can actually download it, and it'll have all the scriptures and all the points. Or you can go to our website, and on the website, uh, if you uh, go uh, to uh, our section that has uh, today's uh, messages at the very bottom, um, you'll find it there. So uh, we want to encourage you to take notes on this because we believe this is going to help us in our relationships. So last week, as I said, we talked about the, num- uh, the number one goal in our marriage should be being Christ-centered. This week, we're going to talk about the second goal, and it should, to be, it should be to be unity-focused. Now, people think the foundation for marriage should be happiness and fun and, and many other things, but if you want to have a lasting marriage, the foundation has to be unity and then when you are united, you will experience happiness and all those other things that you hope to enjoy. To begin with, let's just look at the, uh, cre- at the story of creation and see how God created marriage, or as we sometimes call the institution of marriage. So we're going to turn to the book of Genesis and read these words. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord took out, of one of, took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, he exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife And the two are united as one. So look, all of us are created uh, of human flesh and bone. But but the first man and woman came from the same flesh and bone. And when you look at that scripture in marriage, that symbolizes unity. Being united in marriage is what allows us to fulfill the mission that God gave us, that he gave all of humanity. And you see that in the first chapter of Genesis, where God says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. So that's our mission. So God is saying, enjoy the creation and take care of it. But that mission could not be accomplished without a unified focus. God seeks to unite humans in marriage to fulfill their God-given purpose. And God knows that that purpose that he created all of us for In it, we'll find joy and happiness and blessing. And that blessing is found in unity. There is companionship in unity. There is fulfillment in using our individual gifts toward a common mission that unifies us. And this is the purpose for marriage, but it's also the purpose for all of humankind, to be able to fill the earth and govern it. So it's important to note, though, as we talk about this, that unity in marriage, does not mean uniformity. God created each of us to be unique and different as we see from the beginning that he made two unique humans, a man and a woman. Our uniqueness brings different gifts, different points of view, and so many other unique things that bear on our common unifying mission. 
So that's how God created the institution of marriage and how he gave us a mission as humankind. But very early on in creation, there was an attempt to destroy and to divide the unity of that first marriage. You read the uh, scriptures in chapter 2 of the book of Genesis and you see Satan comes in the form of a serpent and he sowed seeds of doubt in that first couple. They actually disobeyed God's commands. They sinned and as a result, they were banished from that perfect place of living, the Garden of Eden, and they were told to work the land and take care of it and still to fulfill their mission. Here's what we need to understand. Satan's goal was to destroy the unity by disrupting their relationship with God and their relationship with each other, and therefore to distract them from the mission that God wanted them to fulfill. I appreciate the words of Pastor Craig Rochelle. He says this, what God seeks to unite, the devil schemes to divide. What God seeks to unite, the devil schemes to divide. Now, in Scripture, we see that unity is an important part of our relationship with God. It's critical to our relationship with God. It's also critical to the relationships within the church, the body of Christ. And obviously, then it's also important and critical within marriage relationships. It's important for us to see uh, what Jesus said about unity. And so in the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus actually prays that we would be united with God, that we would be united with him. He's praying for the disciples and that we would be united with one another. He wants there to be complete unity. And he's praying this to God on the disciples' behalf at that time, but for all of the subsequent generations of followers of Jesus. The power in unity is it unites us with God. It unites us with one another. It makes us singularly focused on our relationship with God and sharing that with other people. The power of unity is it unites people. The importance of unity, as Jesus tells us, is that it sends a clear message. The message is, is that with God, we can do all things and that he wants us to be connected with him. And so it's important that we accept him. It's a, it, it's a message to the rest of the world that we've accepted him as God in our lives, that we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and he's our most important relationship, and we want to communicate that with the world. Unity with God sends a message that we believe in him and that we follow Jesus. Unity in the body of Christ unites Christ followers around a common faith in Jesus and a common mission to spread the message of Jesus around the world in our neighborhoods and everywhere. And unity in the body of Christ testifies to the reality of God to a very skeptical world. Unity in marriage focuses a couple on a common mission as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, as I said earlier, unity doesn't mean that we're the same identical people. Unity means that we are united together to live life in this marriage. Uh, Dr. Tony Evans uh, explains unity in marriage this way. He says, the healthiest marriages I have seen are those in which both parties maintain separate identities and purposes as they unite under the shared purpose of fulfilling the rule of God in and through their partnership. 
This understanding of unity offers each person in the marriage the opportunity to experience the maximum freedom that God intended for his creatures to enjoy. And then within the boundaries of, marriage, of the marriage relationship, both spouses are fully able to pursue their calling under God, utilizing their giftedness to advance the potential of the other in an atmosphere of mutual trust and respect. So long as biblical priorities of the unity of the family are not being compromised. You know, unity is so important that when we see it mentioned in Scripture, we really need to pay attention. We need to take notice of it. So this morning, I, I want to look at a passage about unity from the Apostle Paul. He's writing in the book of Ephesians, the first four verses, and this is what he says. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We see the focus of unity. So we're going to really focus on verse 2. So let me remind you what it says. It says, be completely humble and gentle and be patient and bearing with one another in love. You know, biblical scholars who have studied this passage agree that the presence of those four traits in Christ followers will yield unity. And they point out that the absence of those qualities actually will jeopardize Christian unity. And going further, one scholar writes this, that the apostle urged his readers to display humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and love since they are necessary to achieve the aim of the exhortation. And that was in the next verse, which says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And he writes, without these graces which are essential to their life together, they would have no hope of maintaining the unity of the Spirit, a unity in the body of Christ. So if these four character traits are essential for unity in the body of Christ, then we also understand that they're essential for unity in marriage. So we're going to look at them and, and look at these, verse, at these traits and study them this morning. And let me make it clear. Every Christ follower needs to make every effort to keep unity in the Spirit by leaning into these four traits of humility, gentleness, patience, and tolerance and love. We're going to look at this today. It's the, the second of the relationship goals. So the first one we're going to look at is humility. Now, the Bible teaches us that this is what humility looks like. It says in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So think of marriage as a team. All right, a team of two people. You probably heard the saying that there's no I in team. What that's getting at is that 
all teams, whether what sizes, work best when they focus on working together. That means focusing on each other rather than focusing on the individual. Now, when you go through this scripture, look what it says about being humble. It says, don't have any selfish ambitions, no vanity, no vain conceit. It says, rather, in humility, value others as more important than yourself, as above yourself. Don't look to your own interest, but rather to the interest of others. And then the climax of this is the perfect and the greatest example of humility. It's Jesus. And if you go on and read the rest of Ephesians, excuse me, Philippians chapter 2, you'll see how it describes how Jesus set aside his divinity and became human and came down to earth and humbled himself as a servant. In some translations say as a slave and went to the cross for us. You know, as I end uh, this examination of this character trait and the other character traits, I'm, I'm going to actually, uh, I want to help facilitate marriage relationships, and I'm going to ask you some questions for reflection, all right? These are questions that I've gleaned from Dr. Tony Evans' book, uh, Kingdom Marriage. I, I encourage you to write them down, although they will be on that outline in the Bible app and on our website, so I, I encourage you to connect with them. If I wasn't clear, it's on the website at valleybrook.cc forward slash resources. So here they are. All right, what I want you to do is reflect on these. So regarding humility, ask yourself these questions. Am I willing, in the interest of unity, to submit my desires, no matter how good, to God's purpose in my marriage? Am I willing to serve my spouse looking out for his or her interest above my own? I want to encourage you to, to reflect on those today and, and this week. So that's humility. Now let's look at the second character trait, gentleness. Both of the prominent leaders of the first century church, Peter and Paul, understood the power of gentleness and how it helps fulfill the mission of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, the apostle Paul exhorted the church saying, let your gentleness be evident to all. And Peter said this, he said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the, hope that you for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness. Gentleness is critical for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Gentleness is, is critical for our witness, and we understand that if we want that message to be clear, we have to share it in a way that isn't harsh, but comes across gently. And any message we communicate in the body of Christ has to be the same way. And obviously how we communicate in marriage has to be done with gentleness. In an article entitled, When Bad Things Happen to Good Relationships, uh, Gordon McDonald shares this about his friends, Dr. Paul and Edith Rees, how they communicate with gentleness even in conflict. When the Rees were in their 90s, McDonald asked them if they fought after 60 plus years of marriage. Dr. Rees responded, oh, oh, sure we do. 
Yesterday morning was a case in point. Edith and I were in the car and she was driving and she failed to stop at a stop sign and it scared me half to death. Oh, what did you do? McDonald asked. He said, well, I've loved Edith all these years and I've learned how to say hard things to her. But I have to be careful because when Edith was a little girl, her father always spoke harshly to her. And today, even today, when she hears a manly voice speak in anger, even my voice, she is deeply, deeply hurt. But Paul McDonald continued, she's 90 years old. Are you telling me that she remembers a harsh voice from all those years ago? She remembers that voice more than ever, he said. Okay, so how did you handle the driving situation from the other day? Well, I simply said, Edith, darling, after we've had our nap this afternoon, I want to discuss a thought I have with you. And when the nap was over, I did. I was calm. She was ready to listen. And we solved our little problem. You know, this married couple understands the truth from the book of Proverbs that says this, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So let me give you some questions to consider regarding yourself and the trait of gentleness. Ask yourself this, am I argumentative with my spouse? Do I find myself responding with anger when my agenda is challenged? What is my first unfiltered response when my spouse wrongs me? Reflect on those questions. Even discuss them with your spouse later on today or this week. Here's the third character trait that Paul tells us that we have to have to facilitate unity. It's patience. The virtue of patience is elevated throughout the Bible and in maybe one of the most significant passages on patience, the Apostle Paul reminds us that in his mercy, God is patient with us. This is what he writes. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his patience with even the worst sinner. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. So basically, Paul is saying, if God is patient with him, the worst of all sinners, and he still offered him forgiveness for his sins and salvation, then God will do the same. He will offer the same for all of us. Truthfully, it, Paul's statement is a statement of gratitude for God's patience. But it's also a subtle reminder that if God can be patient with us, then we need to be patient with one another and especially with our spouses. So let me give you some more questions to reflect on with regards to that trait for patience. Am I willing to wait for God's work through his spirit in the life of my spouse? Do I find myself impatient with the slowness of change in my spouse's life? 
Can I wait for the spirit and the discernment of my spouse before making a change? So that's patience. Let's look at the final virtue that helps us build unity. It's tolerance. Tolerance and love. Now, the NIV Bible translation says, bearing with one another in love. Either way, it's describing tolerance. So uh, the Cambridge Dictionary defines tolerance this way. It's willing to accept behavior and beliefs that are different from your own, although you may not agree with or approve of them. So the big idea here is accepting your spouse. So let me illustrate what that looks like with a story. Several years ago, uh, Amy Sutherland, <clears throat> who wrote what she learned about marriage in an article for an online magazine, said, I learned a lot when I was preparing an article on animal trainers. She said, at that time, I had been married for 12 years, and while I loved my husband dearly, uh, I was becoming more and more annoyed with some of his irritating habits. And so I decided to nudge him a little closer to my idea of what the perfect husband would be like um, because I didn't want him to continue to annoy me as he was. She admitted uh, that she knew that she was nagging him about these behaviors that were annoying him. But after doing this research with animal trainers, she actually said, you know, I saw how they taught dolphins to flip and how they taught elephants to paint. And I realized that I was actually going about things in my marriage all wrong. What she concluded was she needed to do things differently. I needed to be more patient with my husband. We just talked about patience. And I needed to accept him even if he had some annoying habits. And so she started to do that. She ignored her husband's behaviors that she disliked, and then she actually did what she saw the animal trainers do, and she began to say nice things and reward the behaviors in her marriage that she liked. And that process changed them both. She began to accept him more readily, even if she was annoyed by some of his habits. And he began to decrease those annoying habits and do the things that she affirmed him for without even knowing that because of the positive reinforcement that she was giving. It was all about accepting. Accepting one another and loving one another exactly as they are. You see, tolerance, tolerating one another, is accepting one another in love. So, let me ask some of those questions for reflection. Ask yourself this. Do I insist on things being done my way? Can I allow for the diversity of ways that the Spirit works through other people? Do I work well with my spouse's preferences? Or do they conflict with my own? So as you reflect on those questions in your own life, in your own marriage, in your own relationships as you try to get along with others, you know, I want you to enter into a time of prayer and I, and I encourage those of you who are married to discuss these questions with each other. 
And these four character traits, humility, gentleness, patience, and tolerance and love are essential, Scripture tells us, for unity in our relationships, but especially in marriage. And they cultivate this idea of keeping unity of the Spirit, which is important in the body of Christ, whether it's just you and your spouse or whether the local church or, or the grander church. We have to recognize that this is important. So I'm going to give you a, some homework this week if you are a married couple. Um, there is a Bible challenge in the Bible app some of you may use, and there's a seven-day reading plan on this whole idea of working together in marriage. So I want to encourage you as couples to look at it. We're going to put it on the screen and to actually do it. You may want to do it seven days in a row or maybe over the next two weeks, but do it together. Read it together and the scriptures that it gives and discuss it together. And remember that this is all for the purpose of uniting us in our marriage relationship and in the body of Christ. There's a grander picture there. How we get, a, get along together in our closest relationships will influence how we get along together in the body of Christ and other places where we're in relationships with people. You know, the reality is this, that God wants us to be united in the body of Christ. And he wants that unity to be assigned to the rest of the world, that, that God is doing something. The culture of the world we live in is often disunity and there's often combating ideas and personalities. But in the body of Christ, we work together to love one another, to accept one another, to be patient with one another, to be tolerant with one another, to work through things together for the glory of God so that the world will see that God is doing something different in us. Now look, I want to pray for you that we can be united in the body of Christ and in marriage, but I also recognize that maybe if you're hearing this for the first time and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this whole idea of being united with God, being in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ might be new to you and you may want to know how you can do that. So during our prayer time, I'm just going to give you a, a prayer that you can put in your own words and, and pray back to God, telling him you believe in Jesus I want to start a relationship with him. And if you pray that prayer this morning, I would encourage you to, to send me an email at connect at valleybrook.cc because I want to put a, an electronic document in your hand to encourage you and help you to go further in this decision. So wherever you are, I'm going to invite you right now to bow your heads and pray. So I'm just going to begin with a prayer for anyone who begin, wants to begin a relationship with God. And then I'm going to pray for our relationships in the body of Christ. So, Father, as we gather here, if there's anyone who wants to profess their faith in Jesus, Lord, hear their prayers. And you can just put these statements into your own words and pray them silently to God. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe that Jesus died and was raised from the dead. And now I want to follow him all the days of my life. And now I'm going to conclude this time of prayer and just praying for our unity in the body of Christ and in marriages. 
Father, you have told us very clearly through Jesus' own prayer that we may be one with you like Jesus and you are one, that we can be united. So Lord, I pray for the body of Christ at Valley Brook and around the world that we could be united as one in all of these attributes, that we can work on them to glorify you and point people to you. And I pray, Lord, that in marriage that we can be united in our faith in you and in our common vision of loving one another as Jesus has loved us and sharing that in the way that we live our lives and the way that we care for and connect with one another. And I pray, Lord, wherever there is disunity, you will bring unity. Wherever there is uh, arguments, that you will bring healing and you will bring unity. And I pray, Lord, that we will be seen as different because of what you have done and uniting us. So, Lord, I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Before I close our service with a final blessing, I just want to say a few things. If you want more information about Valley Brook, we encourage you to send us an email. If you have a prayer request, we would love to pray for you, and you can give that to us uh, online or through the Bible app. So we want to encourage you to email those to us because we count it a privilege to pray for you. For those that on here at our Granby campus at the conclusion of the service, we do ask you to, to leave and we'll connect out on the uh, parking lot. We would love to uh, get to know you and answer any questions you have. The Hintons will be out there if you have questions to ask them about their ministry with uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators. We would love uh, for you to connect with them. So um, we'll see you out there, but let me close with a final blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.